Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another live edition. Yes, we're here in the land of enchantment. Power issues notwithstanding, welcome to the other side of midnight. That magical time between dusk and dawn when tonight, or this morning, we're going to discuss the 2022 election. And before everybody gets their hopes up, no, we do not know what the blank blank is going on. However, we're prepared in the next three hours, give or take, to kind of explain to you why we don't know what's going on and why, in a weird, weird kind of way, that's a good thing. And then in the third hour, uh, we're going to be joined by Georgia Lambert because tonight is going to have a definite metaphysical overtone. So our resident metaphysician, who, as you know, spent uh, something like 10 years working with Manley P. Hall, who was kind of the American father of metaphysics and occult science there in Los Angeles in the heyday of when this country was kind of looking in those directions. And for some reason, we kind of turned away. And obviously, people who follow the show regularly, you know that when I talk about hyperdimensional this or that, I'm the so-called occult or the paranormal or the off the edge of the envelope, et cetera, et cetera. Because so much is explained by the hyperdimensional model that basically reality is nest and beneath and beside and above, and all those things are true simultaneously, another set of invisible, to most of us most of the time, other dimensional realities, which have both spatial, which means geometric, as well as reality implications. And of course, the other implication is, where are we really hanging out tonight? or this morning or this afternoon as you're listening to the other side of midnight. What portion of you is here and what portion of you is somewhere else? And did a window, did a portal open up in this reality, in this solar system four weeks ago tomorrow night when NASA conducted this extraordinary experiment which we have evidence has been totally misinterpreted by all the mainstream crowd, most of those idiot scientists jumping up and down, oh, we did it, oh, we did it, unknowing of what they really did, what they were really conned into doing, and the upside and downside of um, their results. Anyway, we're going to get to all of that as the morning and evening and afternoon progresses. So before we do any of that, let me tell all the new listeners, and we have new listeners jumping in and out of the wheelbarrow all the time, as one of my radio friends said about listeners. That's really kind of weird, isn't it? Um, You want to go to theothersideofmidnight.com. That's our URL. Uh, Whether you're on a computer, on a phone, on a Dixie cup, theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on that. That will take you to our URL. And then at the top, there's a beautiful banner, which can be prepared. The hyperdimensional astrology behind with items A, B, and C. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page for my guest tonight, which is uh, 
Rick Levine, who was our resident astrologer. Notice how we have resident scholars in many interesting disciplines, and some of them are even um, kind of multifaceted and multitasked and generalists, like uh, our, our friend Ron Gerbron. Anyway, that will take you to the guest page, and then under the banner on the guest page, you'll see a, a line item which says, rather grandly, um, fast links to items. Click on my name. That will take you down to my section of Radio with Pictures. Uh, this is really interesting because uh, YouGov uh, is kind of like Gallup. It's one of these professional uh, polling organizations that has a good track record and a reasonably long history, YouGov.com. And they poll constantly on various topics. Well, they did one a few weeks ago on... Americans' belief in UFOs and ETs and aliens, etc. And it shows that, as opposed to a few years ago, roughly twice as many Americans now believe that there are ETs at the end of the tunnel, that in fact we are not alone. There are other consciousnesses, if I can say that correctly, wandering around in saucer-shaped spaceships, and that the ultimate answer to the UFO question will resolve to they're here. Now, um, the details are in that very interesting report. And the reason why that is appropriate to lead off with tonight is because a few weeks from tonight, roughly two weeks and change, um, just a little bit of change, on November 8th, we have an election. Now, we're going to be talking about the election extensively tonight with uh, Rick and we're going to try to be figuring out certain trends and background and whatever. And you'll you'll hear how this process is messy because this is a messy election. Um, apropos, um, a writer over at, uh, let's see, what's the, the organization, at the debrief uh, named, um, what is his name? I know it's here somewhere. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Um, it, he basically is talking about the fact that, uh, his name is Brian and I can't find his last name. Why can't I find Brian's last name? Um, anyway, it will come to me. Um, he's written a very interesting column that the, um, the, uh, Brian Zabel, Bryce, I'm sorry, not Brian, Bryce, Bryce Zabel. He co-hosts a podcast, The Need to Know with Coulard and Zabel. Um, he's been a CNN correspondent, a PBS investigative reporter, CEO of the TV Academy, and adjunct professor at the U.S. School of Cinematic Arts. He's the author of three award-winning books. You can follow him on Twitter, of course, and his creds are found, of course, on LinkedIn as well. I'm trying to get him for a week from tonight, next Sunday, which is the 30th of October, 2022. Because this column, which you're going to definitely want to read, um, he basically writes, here comes the October surprise. Uh, and we'll be defining all this next Sunday. What are October surprises? Uh, one of our own uh, uh, faculty, uh, Barbara Honiger, who, as you know, was a high-ranking member in the um, Reagan White House policy uh, uh, person there in the White House, um, she wrote a book about the October surprise having to do with the uh, 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 flying out of the hostages 
literally as Reagan made the transition from the uh, Jimmy Carter presidency, the Iranian hostages were released, flown out of the country, and that was probably the biggest October surprise on record. Anyway, Barbara wrote a book about it. So we're going to talk about October surprises, and I'm going to try to get Bryce on because he is predicting that given that it was written into law that the first annual congressional report on UAPs, UFOs, ETs, and things that go bump in the night, that's where the all-domain Pentagon office on a, of anomalies, you know, comes in, that that is going to uh, drop on us literally on that night or on that day, October 31st. Now, why is that interesting? Actually, he was kind of saying in this piece that it's going to be on the Friday, so it's buried under, you know, the weekend. And I'm thinking, no, they're going to release it literally on Halloween. Why? Well, it turns out to be the 64th anniversary of Orson Welles' infamous War of the Worlds Mercury Theater radio extravaganza in 1938, which set the tone for Halloween and aliens and ETs and invading Martians. So if there is a hidden agenda behind all of this, really, we wonder at this point? I would pick that day, that Monday, the 31st, to release this first annual congressional overview of the state of the art of the U.S. government looking seriously for the first time ever, certainly in my lifetime, uh, into UFOs. And we're going to all find out in the next week whether these uh, bold political predictions are, are, are true. But uh, Bryce Zabel has made this very interesting uh, uh, prediction um, in his column, Here Comes the October Surprise. And there's a part of me that really is hoping that it does come true, because if it does, it will completely recontextualize everything we're going to talk about with uh, my guest Rick Living tonight. So what are we going to talk about? Okay, item number three. Um, as I just told you about uh, four weeks ago, God, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, on Monday night, uh, the 26th of September, um, NASA at 7.14 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time smashed a spacecraft at 4.1 miles per second into a little asteroid, that's what they thought, 600 feet across orbiting another bigger asteroid, that's what they thought, half a mile across and half a mile away um, on the evening of the 26th. And the effects, which you can see in that constantly looped video in item number three, which takes you to the actual NASA page describing their first order effects of this successful impact. The effects were totally, totally, totally off scale. They did not expect them, which takes us to item number four. This is now an image taken by the color camera on the little CubeSat that the DART spacecraft dumped out the back, uh, kind of like you know, opening the trunk and kicking it out into space about 10 days before the impact of the main spacecraft. So it was following along several hundred miles behind 
and had a bird's eye view with two cameras, a color camera and a high resolution black and white camera. The color camera was codenamed Luke. The black and white camera is codenamed Leah. Gosh, Luke and Leah, where have I heard those names? Luke and Leah, Luke and, oh yeah. Is this NASA's Emily Dickinsonian way of saying, we really are doing something in the Star Wars realm, but we can't tell you, but we're gonna codename through the Italians the two cameras so that if you are really, really, really sharp and up on your symbology and the fact that we do this all the time, but we don't tell anybody, you'll get it. <clears throat> so that's what they did. And that picture, that incredible image number four is of a several minutes later after the impact overview as the uh, Leechy Cube, which is the name that they call this thing, um, little spacecraft that could, was zipping on past uh, Didymos and Dimorphos, the two, quote, asteroids, and looking back and taking pictures from the other side. In other words, the side that we didn't see on the approach from the high-res Draco camera, <clears throat> reptilians, anyone, on the approaching... In other words, look, this stuff is so coded and layered and there's hidden meanings and occult meanings and double meanings and all that. It's, it's not even funny anymore. The really cool part is that we've got the code key so we can decode quite a bit of it. And that takes me to number five. Because I was looking at that image, that amazing image in number four, which is the expansion of the shock waves and filaments and streamers and dust and debris of what happened when this spacecraft hit Dimorphos 600 feet across at 4.1 miles per second, which is equivalent to about 20,000 feet per second, which is far above normal blast waves, um, even in a vacuum from high energy explosives. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking and I'm thinking, wait a minute, Hoagland, are you, are you, are you seeing what's not there? because I looked at the cloud, the expanding debris. And I've been doing this for a long time, you know, looking at extraterrestrial geometry and other planets, ancient ruins, ancient structures, ancient urban centers. Remember Carl Sagan's watchword way back when he wrote uh, uh, Cosmic Connection? Um, if I can quote it by heart, the first indication of intelligent life on Earth is the geometric uh, patterns in its design. So even Sagan, looking at early satellite imagery of Earth, was looking, like on those Tyros images, he was looking for geometry and he found it. In fact, the only imagery of Earth from those early primitive satellite systems that had cameras, the Tyros weather satellites was a logging complex in a northern Canadian forest where the loggers had gone in and they had basically created a crisscross geometry of roads to drag out the logs from the middle of the forest. And it had snowed and on the Tyros imagery, the snow laden roads in the dark forest stood out as a crisscross, like a tic-tac-toe game of uh, crossed lines, crossed roads, showing rectilinear 
geometry. It was the only thing that he was able to spot out of thousands of pictures taken with that primitive satellite technology way back in the 60s uh, that showed that there was some kind of rectilinear geometric makers down here on the planet. Intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the geometric regularity of his design. So that's become kind of like uh, the Bible for the study of extraterrestrial archaeology on the part of me and the other members of the Enterprise Mission crew. So, long prologue, I was looking at this incredible, expanding, beautiful, but incredibly sad image of the expanding cloud around the impact on Dimorphos from the DART spacecraft. And I suddenly said, wait a minute, am I seeing three-dimensional rectilinear geometry? And then I picked up the phone and I called Andrew Curry, who was our resident uh, Hollywood artist, storyboard creator, commercial um, uh, galvanizer par excellence. And he saw it completely independently and he did this amazing poster literally during the end of uh, a show last week and gave it to us. That's number five. So look at the black and white below the color uh, NASA slash Italian CubeSat image and you'll see this stunning 3D geometry in the explosion debris of an incredibly chaotic, whacked out explosion event. Total pure entropy. Entropy meaning the increase in disorder in our three-dimensional universe. So how can you get order the 3D geometry that he and I were seeing? How can you get order out of disorder? I mean, this is not a simple question. And it turns out, if you go back to some of the metaphors that I've been talking about in the last week or two that I've been discussing this, that I believe the impact triggered a hyper-dimensional portal. We might talk about how that actually happens later on in the show. And order overwhelmed disorder in our 3D reality, very similar to the um, mainstream cosmological models for how order and extraordinary, far beyond the speed of light expansion of the early Big Bang universe transmitted order from that expanding point, that, that mathematical singularity that became the universe we now inhabit, all in a fraction of a nanosecond. And obviously, if we look at these two ideas and say they're basically the same physics, then what's that saying is that our 3D reality is implicate, Im, you know, Im, impulsed, driven, mandated by a higher dimensional geometry, which, because of this experiment NASA carried out, was briefly in ascendance and in control in the first minutes after the impact of the DART spacecraft onto the little 600-foot-wide object called Dimorphos. And it's visible there in the geometry. Now, there's a couple other examples that we'll talk about later in the show. But what I'd like to do is to get now to my guest of the morning, who is named uh, Rick Levine. Rick is a professional astrologer since 1976. He has become a respected leader in the global astrology community. 
He is past president of the Washington State Astrology Association, co-founder of StarIQ.com, a founding trustee of Kepler College, and co-author of Eight Years of Barnes & Noble's annual Your Astrology Guide. And there's a whole bunch more about it, but I've known him forever and ever and ever. And he's he's probably the only self-admitted hyperdimensional astrologer on the planet. So without further ado, Rick, come on down. Well, here I am. <laughs> okay. Um, I believe, and we'll talk about this later in the show, that NASA carried out either wittingly or unwittingly the first hyperdimensional experiment in this solar system maybe in 66 million years. Now, I could really be off on that. There could have been earlier iterations of later civilizations, like the last high-tech civilization before us, which was about 30,000 years ago, which also did some of this. But when you open up a hyperdimensional portal, in the contemporary solar system, and you do it as the numbers that I've been looking at seem to indicate specifically by careful forethought and design, my simple mind says, well, somebody must have had an objective, a goal. And so what I asked you to do is to take the location of Didymos and Dimorphos at the moment of impact relative to Earth charts, put it in the chart and see if there was anything interesting about the configuration. And you and I have not talked. You know, it's one of these I'm trying to be very, uh, you know, full disclosure. We haven't had time to talk because you're so damn busy. So I guess my first naive question, I should never ask questions I don't know the answer to, is did you find anything? Well, first of all, I I was able with my technology, which is different than yours, able to create a chart of where everything, where where all the planets and the moon were from from Earth's point of view. But with the information that I had, I'm unable to put um, the actual location of Didymos in that chart um, because of my uh, my limitations and knowledge of how that kind of celestial mechanics works. So I only have part of this equation. It's still an interesting part, but I do not have the actual, what we would call the zodiac uh, longitude um, of, uh, um, of, of the actual impact. I have a chart of the moment of the impact, which is fascinating, though. Okay, why is it fascinating? Well, um, when, when one looks at a chart, and this, by the way, is... Um, it, you know, is up on the uh, radio pictures down below, um, wherever you just were. Um, if you scroll down <clears throat> to um, Rick's items, and it's actually the one we want to look at is number three, which is Didymos impact from Earth center. Um, the uh, two was the impact from Washington, D.C., assuming that Washington, D.C. had some um, um, so some uh, part in this whole, you know. Well, that's uh, where NASA headquarters is, and NASA headquarters designed the experiment, so that's why it's Washington. That, that's right, but um, just as from a, but because um, it, it, to me it made more sense to just run from the center of Earth, since it's an Earth-controlled thing, since it's off Earth, regardless. 
when you look at the chart, one of the things that um, immediately strikes me as very, very powerful is that this was done at what an astronomer would call the um, Jupiter's opposition. Oh. An astrologer would say that it was Jupiter's opposition to the sun, but astronomers just assume that. When they talk about a planetary opposition, it means that the planet um, is as bright as it can be in the sky, because just like a full moon is in effect a lunar opposition to what to the sun right um, that's when the moon is the brightest so so astrologically the sun was at three degrees of libra in 51 minutes you can think of this as a clock 51 minutes out of 60 it's almost like it was um like a sixth of a degree short of four degrees of libra okay and Jupiter was at three degrees Aries, 40 minutes, three degrees Aries, 40 minutes opposite the sun within about a 10 minute um, difference, which means that they were exactly opposite within one sixth of a degree. So it's basically a dead on alignment. Yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know. Well, given that everything has error bars and nothing is exactly, you know, right on within within an orb, within a little window. That's right, especially in nature. There's no such thing as anything that is exact. Yep. yep. So, so that is correct. So we can say that at the moment of impact, there was a straight line from the sun to Jupiter with Earth on that line, you can think of it energetically as, or hyperdimensionally even, you can think of this as an energetic tug of war with Earth in the center and the sun pulling one way and Jupiter pulling the other. Now, the thing that's extraordinary is that anyone who knows anything about astronomy knows that the sun and Jupiter are the two by far largest um, mass objects in our little celestial neighborhood. And in the physics model, the hyperdimensional physics, mass and spin and orbit and distance from the sun all get together and the bigger, the better, the more powerful. So what you're saying is this impact was, as I suspected, designed to amplify the effect of this other alignment. Now, here's, here's where I, coming from my little parochial, parochial can I say that? Parochial <laughs> point of view, I, I hear you say that, and I think you posed this question, um, you know, up front. I honestly do not know, and, and, it, and it's not a conversation that we need to have again, because we've had this conversation, you and I, many times. I don't know whether this was planned or whether these things just happen. Oh, but see, I know it was planned, and I'll tell well, you. Well, I, I know you know, and I don't. Um, well, well but, no, but do you know because you haven't heard the numbers yet, or you don't because even if you hear the numbers, you'll wonder if there's some metaphysical plan that supersedes any rational thinking? Well, here's the thing is my, my 50 years as practicing astrologer, I've seen again and again and again and again major events occurring in people's lives who knew nothing about the numbers, and they happen so exact to the numbers. 
numbers. And this doesn't take away the magic of it or the importance of it. I'm just going on record saying that the numbers are there and something here is extraordinary. I don't know whether it was conscious or just whether this is the way things unfold. Hmm. Regardless. Regardless. Okay, we Jupiter, are... Go ahead. Regardless, Jupiter and the sun in an absolute you know when when things are in opposition this creates tension it's like it's like away from the center it's like these energies are pulling and this is almost like a maximum torsion field of energy being pulled outward with earth in the center at that moment and there's other things or another thing in particular two other things that we'll get to but that's the first thing i noticed extraordinary wow Okay, we are literally at the bottom of the hour, so let me put Rick there, and let me do this there. And as I said, we're going to literally be talking about the metaphysics of this when we bring George on in the third hour. But when we come back, I have two interesting questions. I hope they're interesting. One is when, forget Didymos for a minute, forget the experiment, forget NASA and whomping this and releasing something. What is the normal human consciousness effect of Jupiter being in opposition to Earth in a chart? What overall effect on humanity would that have? And then a corollary of that question, what would happen if you turn the dial up, if you jack up the amplification, if you turn up your boombox to, you know, warp nine? What happens if you insert into that configuration a jolt of energy, to use a very prosaic term? What would you expect? Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, 
October 23rd, 2022. Uh, we're talking with Rick Levine, who is our resident uh, hyperdimensional astrologer. So first question, what's the normal effect on consciousness on Earth of a Jupiter-Earth opposition? Um, a couple of things. First of all, that is exactly um, a right question, but I don't want to lose the, the coming back to this because there's a couple of other things that make this beyond extraordinary, even though we're starting off with something very interesting. <clears throat> so Jupiter astrologically is like a magnifying lens jupiter is uh, is related to the concept of anything that gets larger i mean it's the largest thing out there aside from the sun um jupiter is associated with big ideas big thinking distant travel opening up um um gates <laughs> if you will <laughs> jupiter jupiter is jupiter is expansive and when jupiter appears in someone's chart in a place of notability it represents an opportunity because that's opening a door whether it's a physical or metaphysical door doesn't matter jupiter makes things look bigger better and more okay so when jupiter is opposite the sun what happens is that what because we in effect are in the middle of this um, it's like we have larger-than-life ideas that just kind of come into being, and we're challenged to find a a balance between things as they are, stability, and the potential of anything goes. Um, and when we find that balance, theoretically, Jupiter opposite the Sun is like a launch pad. It gives us the ability to reach our goals. But the danger is that we can take on too much say yes to too much or simply expand or 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 open up something larger than we thought hmm okay so if i add uh an x amount of energy or oomph or impetus whatever to that physics that consciousness alignment what happens okay so here I need to interject an idea that I've been working with several years. I think you and I talked about this a couple years back. And that is, historically, astrology was always about what happened when we observed the planets. And, 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 and there was kind of like a consistency. And I believe that starting in the 20th century and now still heading towards some sort of crescendo, things have changed because we have technology that has created a way to amplify these astrological events. I call them cosmic feedback loops. Mm -hmm. um, that's just my little name for them. But it's like, it's like using um, extra amplifiers like the Grateful Dead did um, and creating um, auditory feedback. But when we start using technology, um, video cameras and recording devices, we have this ability to take these extraordinary moments and magnify their energy. And, and it's something that we can talk about sometime again in the future, because I think it's hugely shifted what astrology is because we've stepped into the realm of messing or altering those natural energies. Um, and, and I think, again, this may be a case of that. Well, this is hyperdimensional torsion field technology. Remember, science progresses. You try to figure out what the universe is trying to say. 
then you try to harness it for human benefit, right? Or if you're a warmonger, you try to harness it to kill as many people as possible. <clears throat> that was not said tongue-in-cheek. So, if whoever was designing this experiment, and I'm going to prove to you in a second that it was a designed experiment, their intention was to magnify the background effect of a Jupiter-Earth opposition, and that effect will last at least another, you know, two weeks through the election, given how slow Jupiter moves compared to Earth. So that opposition is not going to move very much in the next couple of weeks, right? Yes, and it will come back into exactness because when a planet is in opposition, it appears to be retrograding, which Jupiter is now, which means early next year, Jupiter in its direct motion will move this move through this exact same point in in the uh, cosmos. So wait, if I get the, 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 the geometry correct, because we're coming out on Jupiter, we're closer in planet, Kepler's law, we move faster, we're kind of overtaking Jupiter in the outside lane, right? Uh, correct. Which means it's apparently in the sky moving backward relative to the star. From, from Aries to Pisces, in fact, it'll move it, it'll move backward into Pisces, the, the, the 12th sign, its previous sign, um, next week, and then it will move back into Aries by the end of the year. It'll just tip back into where, Pisces. Where, what will it be doing and where will it be on the 8th of November? Um... Well, it's it's still in it's still in Aries on the eighth of November. Yeah, but how is it moving? Is it prograde or retrograde? Um, oh, it's retrograde. See? It's actually it's... just it's hold on. It's retrograde, and it's actually already tipped back into Pisces, the previous sign on election day. Okay, so but there's more. Well, when we get to that chart, we'll realize that that Jupiter isn't the only planet that's retrograde. Mars is also, and that's a huge thing, but we'll get there when we talk about election day. Yeah. I'm... Go ahead. Richard, can we just, can we stick with this just for a moment? Because there's another thing that makes this, that that this whole Jupiter-Sun thing is amazingly important. However, it's how that fits in to the larger pattern of what has dominated 2021 and 2022, which is a slower moving um, holding aspect between Saturn and Uranus. Now, Saturn is a 30 year cycle and Uranus is an 84 year cycle, roughly. Right. And they, they locked into a 90 degree angle which astrologically and in physics is the angle of maximum conflict or or deconstruction or well, interact. It, 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 it's when the you know what hits the rotating kitchen appliance. <laughs> exactly. So in, 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 in astrology and in physics is all I'm saying is both, yep, of yep. course. So so um, so you're saying and, the overall configuration for doing something that amps up the juice in the system is to amplify the effect of what's already there, but make it much, much bigger and more meaningful and more direct. Well, I would say bigger. I don't know if it's more meaningful unless we can figure out the meaning, <laughs> but which we're, which is what we're doing well, right let, now. Well, let, 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 see, I'm 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 dipping in, into two lanes here. 
if if we say that the people behind NASA who did this, who got NASA as their pawns, their cat's paws, to carry out what they thought was a diddly little knocking asteroids aside experiment, which actually was really a cover for the big HD experiment that they don't want to talk about, they got it exactly timed right to amplify an existing pattern because this coming election, and I'm hearing my voice coming back, weird echo, this coming election... It's it's, it's not echoing here, just for the record. Okay, this coming election is going to determine potentially life on Earth for the next 10,000 years if Putin goes nuclear. So it's not trivial. All kinds of things are riding on this election. If you're trying to to amplify that historical, extraordinary impact, this would be, at the ultimate HD level, what you would do if you had the technology to do it. And when I explain how they did it with dumb 20th century technology, it's really kind of elegant. So let me go back to the question you posed earlier. Was it done or is it just just happen according to a pattern that we're kind of retroactively trying to analyze. And I'm going to argue forcefully, no, this was done with very conscious effort to make it happen on that date, on that night, with this configuration to achieve these effects. And how's, here's how I know. That night on Monday the 26th at 7.14 p.m., when DART arrived at Didymos and smacked into it, imparting its energies. It was, in the Earth reference frame, 33 degrees below the celestial equator and change. 33 degrees. Now, 33, of course, is a Masonic number. It's also a hyperdimensional number. It's part of the hyperdimensional geometry and physics equations. 33 is not trivial, okay? Mm -hmm. When they carried out the experiment, they were looking for, at best, uh, I'm sorry, the low end was a 72-second change in the 11-hour, 55-minute orbiting period of Dimorphos around Didymos, and a max of like 10 minutes. Well, they got, within the error bars, 33 minutes. Oh, now this is interesting. 33 degrees south celestial latitude, 33-minute difference. Do you begin to see a trend curve here? Because these people, if nothing, can't go to the men's room without conducting a ritual. It may not be that it's physically meaningful in the sense that we just discussed the alignments, but the fact that they wanted to carry it out on these times, these ritual numbers, and achieve the ritual effect, that tells me it was designed. Oh, there's one other. Uh, Didymos was seven tetrahedral spin degrees above the southern horizon. I'm sorry, the eastern horizon in Washington, D.C., where, of course, the maximum effect of all this is, is focused both on NASA and on the U.S. government and our role in global history. So I have no doubt, having found these numbers without really expecting anything, that this was a designed experiment which came in several parts, a cover story for the public, a real intent by those who got it done behind the scenes. And the reason they wanted to have it done, I think, was to magnify the current hyperdimensional astrology of the entire solar system, bracketing this incredibly crucial election.
Okay. You're not arguing. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, it's your show. I'm not sure that you've convinced me, but I, I again, I, I think that everything that you said can be 100% valid and it still doesn't necessarily show that they were doing that on purpose, they were, but there is a correspondence one way or another. And again, I, I'm saying it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter, and you're saying it does, and I'm saying, okay, it's all right with me. I, I'm, it's not my place to, you know, well, I, you're the expert with that, not me, so I'm okay with it. Well, let me tell you why, A, I think it matters, and B, why it really was, was, was a plan, because remember, uh, Bruce DePalm and I were friends. Bruce conducted a whole bunch of these mechanical hyperdimensional experiments uh, back in the 70s and kept records, wrote papers and all that. His counterpart mm -hmm. in the Soviet Union, who he never met, I don't think even knew existed, Nikolai Kozarev, did some of the same stuff. And a major way that you can trigger a, a portal, a conduit, a gate between dimensions mm -hmm from higher dimensions into ours is by changing angular momentum or inducing in a, in a, in a word that you may be more familiar with forced precession. Remember, mm -hmm. if I have an object orbiting another object, you know, it's a two body system. There is angular momentum in that system. The spin, right. the spin of the objects and then their orbital motion around each other. If I change that, by hitting one of them so that it tilts the orbit angle to the spin of the other object, I will open a gate, according to De Palma's experiments, into this other dimension, and I will produce extraordinary anomalous energy effects in our dimension. And when we look at the imagery from, you know, the DART system, from the uh, Italian CubeSat, extraordinary weird things happened after this impact. Like look at number six and number seven in my images tonight, okay? Are you, you're there in the computer, you can look at them, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, click on them, that will make them big, and then look at uh, Dimorphos, which is the object that was hit that has that trailing cloud of debris around it. Yep. Do you see the geometry? I'm not, I'm not doubting any of this, I, of course I do. Okay, that should not be there. That does not happen under normal explosions, ever, 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 ever. That's a hyper-dimensional signature, like fingerprints or spectral lines or DNA. It is a hallmark so, so, of hyper-dimensional physics. Richard, let me let me add another dimension to this moment that 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 we haven't touched, other than we said that it's part of a greater resonance because that thing that was that moved in and out of of exactness three times beginning at the beginning of 2021 and culminating on Christmas Eve Eve the very end of 2021 and then kind of began to open up and widen its orb meaning it became less powerful and between now or between the last month and election day this comes back within a half a degree of orb of being exact and when i'm talking about this aspect by dates corresponds to the major political shifts having to do with an armed you know um invasion insurrection whatever you want to call it 
um, of the Capitol and Trump's uh, second impeachment and Roe versus Wade's over. I mean, all these events of the year mm-hmm. tie into the square between Saturn, the planet of old, of the status quo, of conservative, of of, of, of holding things um, the way they are. Boundaries. And Uranus. And Uranus exactly. And Uranus, the planet of light. Uranus is called the quantum planet because it's like lightning striking and anything can happen. Change. Uranus is the planet of unexpected and breakthrough and Uranus breaks through the 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 boundaries of Saturn. Change. And this Change. square, hang on hang on one second. This square that has been in and out for all of last year, this Jupiter sun opposition tug of war is exactly halfway. Jupiter's 45 degrees from Saturn on one side and 45 degrees from Uranus on the other. The sun is 135, that's a square and a half, to Saturn on one side and 135 degrees, a square and a half to Uranus on the other. It, it What it does is it takes this entire pattern and it creates this, this other whole layer of built up stress and tension that is right now in the process of in this last month going back to the end of September and through the first week of the eclipse of the first week of November being released. I think we're saying the same thing. If yeah, you, we're it, just it, attributing it, different causes to if, it, but I think you're right. We are saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but given that you live in a universe where we do things all the time to have an effect, why are you hesitating that this was done for specific effect? What's the holdup? That's what I don't understand. Um, um, I guess because I don't, th- I don't think that people running the show are that smart. It depends at what level. Not the ones yeah. you see, not the ones that you, you think you elect, not the ones on television, but those manipulating the string. This could even be ET mandated by our brothers and sisters upstairs who, of course, are using hyperdimensional physics every single day because that's how they are able to appear, walk through solid walls, develop spacecraft that move at 30,000 Gs, all that stuff that we're kind of beginning to make real with this first annual congressional report. That's okay, so Richard, Richard, one last thing on this before before we let this part of it go, and that is that Saturn, which is one part of this Saturn Uranus square, if we connect Saturn, Mars, and the Moon at the moment of the impact, they were making an equilateral triangle from Earth's point of view in the sky, which, as we know, is the most stable form of energetic, you know, um, construction. Is that you know, 120 degree, you know, um, you know, three points on an equilateral triangle, and that was in effect at the same moment. Okay, look at my number eight, and number nine images. This object, after it was hit. It, mm-hmm. you know, the Didymos and Dimorphos orbited half a mile from each other, okay? Right. Like, like one diameter uh, away from the surface of Didymos, there is Dimorphos, or it was. Right. Orbiting it almost in 12 hours, uh, you know, 11 hours and 55 minutes. That's very significant because I think it used to be 12 hours. That's a whole other conversation because it was a time capsule way back when, left Taurus, and they went and blew it up. So over the succeeding days, a cloud of material, incredible fine dust-like material, expanded around the Didymos system, 
ultimately forming an extraordinary parallel beam in space of tiny particulates and an overall cloud shaped like a giant 2,000 mile on a side tetrahedron. Right, which is a three-dimensional version of a grand trine, that equilateral triangle. Exactly, and it's what evolves from a cube, which is two interlocked tetrahedrons spinning in synchronization as part of the physics model. So I'm saying this was done to absolutely have an impact on the physics, on the consciousness, on the astrology of this coming election, and that is a perfect segue what the hell is going to happen before this experiment in the election? And can we see anything about the configuration which is now changed or amplified what could happen? Um, I, th- I think the answer to the question is yes, but I'm not sure exactly what the question was. Okay. This election, we both agree, is going to be, if not the most important in our lifetime, maybe the most important in the history of the country, if not the most important in the recent history of the planet, given all the permutations that will come afterwards, depending upon how people exercise their choice. Whether Agreed. They, whether they make a short-term choice, inflation, gas prices, fear, crime, whatever, or a long-term choice. Do you want to live in a democracy or do you want to sign your birthright away on the 8th of November? It's that simple. So Yes, I, I agree. So it's that choice that I think the hyperdimensional experiment was designed to influence. So how does the general astrological configuration, which is in chart number one, imply the selection of that choice? Right. So, um, the if someone were just to ask an astrologer, what's the most extraordinary chart moment or day, you know, in 2021, 22, 23, it would be pretty hard to come up with anything that topped November 8th, 2022. Wow. I mean, whether it was election day or not. That day is, uh, I mean, I first saw this chart about... Maybe I mean, I first really looked at it um, maybe a little bit less than a year ago, probably about a year ago when I started looking at the year ahead. And I looked at this chart and 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 all I could go. I mean, for days, I just <laughs> walked around going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, um, because I'd never seen a chart quite like this. And you see, the thing is that this goes back to the struggle, the conflict. Remember, 90 degree angles are conflicts yep. uh, in astrology. And the ongoing conflict through 2021 was a conflict between Saturn holding on to the past, make America great again, if you will. Um, It's the status quo. It's the establishment versus Uranus, the progressive, the breakthrough. Um, And obviously, we cannot exist without both planets. I mean, I I want to be real clear about this. This isn't me just saying we need to forget about Saturn and just blast into the future. That'll be just as dangerous as forgetting about moving into the future and returning to the past. We have to find balance. However, the ongoing dance between the old and the new, the fear and the acceptance, the um, the uh, all of the various issues can be broken down 
to the Saturn square Uranus that most people, most astrologers said it was done in, in, in December of 2021 without realizing that because the computer doesn't show it exact in 2022, that they didn't realize that the end of, that, that through October and November, because of the retrograde motions, Saturn and Uranus would come back into that square within about a half a degree, which, like you said earlier, in nature, you could almost say it was exact. You know, it's one six hundred, uh, three hundred. It's one seven hundred and twentieth. You know, of a uh, you know percent of our, um, you know margin of error. Um, and so, and so this this coming back into square now. Uh, well, beginning again back in September, but now through November. What happens is on election day, there is a full moon um, lunar eclipse, and it actually occurs at about it's about 6:02 a.m. in Washington D.C. Eastern Time, and and um, and this full moon uh, lunar eclipse occurs with the moon at 16 degrees of Taurus, and guess what's at 16 degrees of Taurus? Uranus. Oh. The moon is conjoined with Uranus. The, the the eclipsed moon is conjunct Uranus and square Saturn. And the sun on the day of the eclipse is lined up with Mercury. So we have four planets and the Earth in line in that tug of war. Yeah, but it's also now lined it's up not- with the Earth because it's sun, Earth, moon, Uranus. It's um, no, you're missing Mer- Mercury. It's actually, it's actually in order. It's Uranus, Mercury, Sun, Earth, Moon. That's the order. But they're in a straight line. Yeah, that's what I'm with talking Saturn about. Saturn ninety degrees to it. Oh my gosh! Now, I've now, never now, seen now, a chart uh, like this. We're, we're basically, we're, we're basically at the top of the hour. Let me Got leave it. everybody okay. with this thought. Okay, <clears throat> in the physics. In both the Palmas experiments, Kozarev's experiments, and in the observations of the um, um, Cycles Foundation going back to the 1940s, when uh, FDR kind of commissioned an economist at the uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce to try to figure out what was going on with the American economy, and he realized there were cycles mandated by cosmic alignments, we find that the effects on Earth are time delayed that they when you have an event like like let's say the the hyperdimensional event of the impact that effect doesn't just stop within minutes or hours of the event it has a building crescendo which takes place over time it's like the lag of seasons and climate is you're yeah, exactly yeah, correct exactly exactly so this physics alignment this hyperdimensional geometry is meant to play out or was meant to play out by whoever figured this all out, the invisible uh, controllers, to have an effect across the election and then through the end of the year, building, expanding, changing. So this is not over and done with. We're in the middle of it. And in terms of the amplifier, it began on the evening of the 26th. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.